Welcome to our podcast here at Trinity West Church. We believe that you will be enriched by today's message. Let's open our hearts to receive God's Word. Psalms 127, I'm going to finish a series today on parenting, and all the teenagers said... Amen, because I mean, they've had about as much as this series as they could take. So uh, we're going to finish our series today on parenting on purpose. Parenting on purpose, I just want to review very briefly. Uh, You can get to the podcast on iTunes and listen to the last two weeks' messages, uh, and you really need to if you missed a week, because it's so important, and I cannot review everything, but I want you to know that we told you about three what I call non-negotiables. These are something that you have to give your child. They're not open for debate. You can't pick and choose one or two. All three are necessary in the life of a child. We said the first week that you have to give your child attention. You have to give them attention. Uh, That means that you know what they're doing, You know where they're at. And listen, especially with the rise of technology, and we talked about technology, we talked about their phones, we talked about the access to the Internet, uh, and I I gave you some quotes and some statistics from different doctors and psychologists on the danger of cell phones and cable television and the access to the Internet. And you have to pay attention to what is going on in your child's life. And if you missed that, you have got to catch that particular message. And then last week, we said that your child has to have affection. Listen, and here's why. Uh, I gave you four ways that a child receives affection. And the reason why this is so important, and the reason why you need to know this, and the reason why you need to do this, is because one day they're going to be married. And when they get married, they're going to have to give affection to another person. And if they've never received affection or if they haven't received it properly, they're not going to know how to give it. And so it's so important for us to give our children a balanced sense of affection. And so I told you last week there were four ways that a child receives affection, and it's so important that we give them those four ways. After all, we said this. The purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. Let me say it again. The purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. Not just an adult, but a godly adult. So let's look at Psalms 127. And it says this, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth. Now let me just, just study that a minute, or look at it. It says this, children are a heritage. Now some translations say this, children are a gift from God. How would you agree with that? Children are a gift from God, and they're given to us as parents to steward. So we have to watch over that gift. But then it says this, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Now, what you need to know about the Bible and and when it says this particular phrase, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, that it was understood that when Psalms 127 was written, 
You could not go buy an arrow. You did not go down to Gander Mountain or, or, or order off of Cabela's or, or you didn't go to Bass Pro Shops and you didn't pick out an arrow. You didn't buy an arrow anywhere. All arrows were made. Do you hear me now? That means that a man or woman would grab a stick, a branch, a piece of wood that had leaves and it had knots and it, and, and it maybe was a little twisted or a little bent in some spots and it would begin to take off the, the excess branches and would begin to whittle down till it got to a point where it could just form a perfectly straight shaft. And then it would get an arrowhead that was made out of bone or flint, some sort of metal. And it would take this arrowhead and pound it into just the right shape and then grab some feathers from an eagle or, or, or a vulture, some sort of bird, and it would place those feathers on the end. And it was a process that took time, it took effort, it took energy into making this arrow. And the amount of time they put in, the amount of work that they put in, the efficiency that they had in creating this arrow determined the accuracy and the distance of that arrow. So listen, parents, children just don't raise themselves. They just, don't, they just don't say, we can't just say, well, however they come out, I mean, we'll just try our best, we'll just make every effort, after our children are resilient. No, that's not how you parent. You have to be intentional. You have to have focus. You have to be determined. You have to work. Right? You have to put in the effort and the energy. You have to put in the time. You have to put in the resources. They're like arrows. And so you have to shape them. We have to form them. Parenting is tough work. And all the parents said, Amen. So besides attention and besides affection, here's what a child needs. A child needs aim. Isn't it awesome how all those begin with A? That's how I roll. <laughs> aim. You understand? A child needs aim. That means that when you pull back that bow, we don't close our eyes. We don't just randomly go, well, whatever happens to them or whatever direction they go in, I mean, I'm not responsible for it. They got to make their own decisions. No, we pull back that bow and we ask God for help. We ask for his grace and mercy, but we say, hey, we're going to point them in the right direction. Actually, we're going to, I should say, we're going to pull back this bow and we're going to launch them. But it's going to be intentional. We're going, to, we're going to aim. We're going to have focus. We're going to launch them into a future. And so when it comes to aim, we're going to say two things that are necessary for you to aim your child in the right direction. And the first one is this. You've got to give them, number one, a love for God's house. This is what was instilled in me in a child. I, I, I grew up where we went to church all the time. No, you're not hearing me. I said all the time. Sunday school, Sunday service, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
We never missed church. We went to church on vacation. I'd take my little suit to the beach, and on Sunday morning, we'd leave the pool and the beach, and I'd get in my little suit, and we would go to church on vacation. The only time I could miss church is if I was sick. And to prove that I was sick, I'd have to throw up. And once I threw up, my dad said, well, you should be feeling better now. Go on and get dressed, because we're going to church. I'm telling you, this church. I spent the night over a friend's house one time. And, and, you know, I was about 10 years old. And, you know, when you're 10, you got no track of time. I didn't know what time it was. And so we drove to church. I drove with them to church. And they dropped me off. And our church had a building. We, we met in this one sanctuary. And then, then right next to the church was this little pink house. And we'd go to Sunday school in the pink house. So they dropped me off. And I started walking to the pink house. And they said, hey, hey, Brian, Brian, Sunday school's over. We, we're going just straight to church this morning. And I turned around and looked at them like, what, what do you mean? I've never missed Sunday school day. What do you mean? We had a sword drill this morning. What, what, what do you mean we didn't go to Sunday school? And, and I still thought, uh, I, still remember, I still remember the path to this day. I still remember thinking to myself, that means that my arch nemesis, Brett Combs, has won the sword drill today. <laughs> That means that I've lost the sword drill. Listen, we went to church all the time. They just instilled in me, this is what we do. And we have passed that on to our children. We have youth on Wednesday nights. And listen, my kids go to youth on Wednesday nights because we have said that as long as you live in my house, you are going to be in church. And so listen, they never miss. We go to youth on Wednesday nights. There's a Friday night Bible study for uh, juniors and seniors and college freshmen. And listen, I get to church about 5.45 on Fridays because we have prayer from 6 to 7. And I usually stay all day until about 4 o'clock, somewhere around 4. And then when I get home, I don't want to come back to church. But about 6 o'clock, 6.15, I realize, listen, okay, Bible study, it's time to go. I don't want to go. I'm tired. The last thing I want to do is drive back to the church. But I think to myself, they may learn something tonight that will change their life. They may have an experience tonight that will change their life. And so we drive them to church. I should say I drive them to church. My wife picks them up because I'm out cold. I am gone by the time they're done. So I'm sleeping, but she drives. She goes and gets them. And, and listen, it's not convenient. And we're tired. And we've got sports. We've got all these other things. But nothing is more critical or important in the life of our children than to make sure that they're in God's house. Amen. I remember when, when we had youth on Sunday nights. We used to have youth on Sunday night. And, and the South Florida Fair was in town. Now, you have to understand, the South Florida Fair is a religious experience for me. <laughs> Not a spiritual one. It's a religious one. I spend $15 to get in so I could spend 50 on food. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but I do it all the time. Because I start eating... And I just don't stop. I mean, if I, there's a, I'm going to eat it, all right? And so we had 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
Glory to God. And then the Sunday after we ended, I was going to the fair. I was going to break my fast at the fair. I don't recommend it, but it's what I did that day. So we had bought tickets. We bought wristbands. I probably spent about $150 for us to get into the fair and, and food and everything and wristbands and everything. Probably spent about $150. And it was getting late. And I remember we were walking, walking around with another family of the church, and my son, who was a young teenager at the time, says, hey, Dad, hey, youth is starting. I said, you're not going to church. He said, what do you mean we're not going to church? I said, you're not going. I've spent $150. We're at the fair. We're going to have fun. So you just relax and enjoy yourself. And he began to pout. He began to have his head down. He began to get upset. And I said, hey, what are you so upset about? He said, Dad, I want to go to youth. I want to go to church. I said, we're at the fair. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. I spent all this money. We're going to stay at the fair. I was getting angry at him because he was angry that we weren't going to church. And I thought to myself, Brian, you dummy, you're getting mad at him because he wants to go to church. Listen, this is how we've just decided we're going to live as a family. And when they see me in church, here's what they need to see. They need to see two things. They need to see me serving, and they need to see me worshiping. Listen, parents who do not worship raise children who do not attend. Did you hear me now? Parents who do not worship raise children who don't attend church. After all, what's the point? And what's the point of going to church if you're not worshiping? If you're not serving, what is the point? And listen, they'll figure it out. If you're sporadic in your church attendance, they're not going to attend at all. If you don't make it a priority, they will not show up when they're 25 or 35. We have got to give them a love for God's house. We've got to say, this is what we do as a family. We come to church, and we don't just come to sit. We come to worship. We come to lift our hands. We come to serve. We come to get involved. Amen? Listen, your children are watching you. And this may look cool when you're standing at the side of parade, but that's not how we worship God. We lift our hands. We lift our voice. We worship Him. Amen? Your children need to see you like that. This past week, I was at a conference up in North Florida, man, just a great church, really in a small town, but this church is just having an incredible impact, and, and I'm on the front row, and, and I'm just a few seats over from the pastor, and the pastor's, you know, he's about in his mid-50s, and, and he's sitting there, and, and I'm, I'm on the front row, and notice there's a guy behind us on the second row, and, and he's an older gentleman. He might even be in his 80s, and he's just lifting his hands, and he's just got his eyes closed, and he is just worshiping. And I thought, I looked at him, and I just thought, man, look at that guy. He is just going for it. He's just worshiping. And I was just so impressed because he was just, I mean, he's lifting his voice and he's singing and he's got his hands outstretched. And I just thought, oh, man, I love it. I love to see that. And then, you know, there was a message and there was preaching and we started going back into worship and this guy has his hands lifted up and all of a sudden he runs onto the stage. And I thought, what is he doing? And I said, somebody needs to tackle him. He can't get on the stage. 
I thought about it, but he was fit for 80, so I thought, no, I'm not going to mess with him or nothing. You never know. You never know. All right, so, but I said, somebody ought to do something, and he's sitting there on the, on the stage, and he says, I just need to sing a song. I thought, my goodness gracious, look at this guy. He's just so overwhelmed. He's just saying, he said, can I have the microphone? So the pastor came over, and the pastor had a death grip on that microphone, but he wasn't giving it up. But, but the guy just started, we used to sing a song, and he's singing, you know. And he's just going for it. And somebody leans over to me and says, that's the pastor's dad. <laughs> I thought, oh, now I know why he's allowed on the stage. He raised that boy. And I thought, that makes sense now. Of course it is. Of course that pastor has built this church up. Of course the pastor lifted his hand. Of course the pastor worshiped. Why? Because he saw it ever since he was a little kid. He saw a dad who's not ashamed to lift his hands and worship God. Somebody say, hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Your kids need to see that in you. They need to see that you're worshiping, that you're giving it all that you've got. They need to see that you love God's house. This is why we go to God's house. Listen, children are going to imitate their parents. They're going to imitate their parents. I've told my children, listen, here's the deal we made since they were very little. We said, hey, you can watch what we watch, you can listen to what we listen to, and you can say what we say. And that last one's not as easy as the other two. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? And I remember saying, uh, just even a few years ago, I said from the pulpit, I said, my children have never heard me use foul language. They've never heard me say uh, a foul word. And and some guy, immediately after I said that, went straight to Caleb and said, nuh-uh, really? Like, no, like, seriously, like, your dad, come on now, you've never heard your dad, really? And Caleb's like, no, I haven't. We made that deal. Here's my phone. You can look at it. Here's the computer. You can look at it. I don't have anything to hide. Listen, why? Because they're going to imitate you. And so we've got to give them a love for God's house. We've got to wake up on Sunday morning and say, here's the decision we've made. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to consider it. We're not wondering whether it's raining, what's the weather going to be like, who's going to be there, what else is on the agenda. Hey, we wake up, we're going to God's house. Hallelujah. Give them a love for God's house. And then the second thing we give them is we give them a biblical view of marriage. Very early in life, at the earliest possible age, your children need to know that the world does not revolve around them. Amen? We have a four-year-old. He's just now figuring it out. The world does not revolve around you. At two, they think it does. When they're two, the world revolves around me. I cry. Watch this. I cry. Here comes food. I cry, I get all the attention. Somewhere around four, maybe later on, five or so, at some point they figure out the world does not revolve around you. At least they should. Ladies, this one is very important. Your husband's needs come before your children's needs. Let me just say that one more time. All of your husband's needs come before little Johnny's and little Susie's. All of your husband's needs. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? 
Come on now. All of your husband's needs come before little Johnny and little Susie. Hallelujah. Here's the order. It's God first, it is your spouse second, and it is your children third. Amen. It is God first, it is your spouse second, and it is your children third. My wife and I will go on dates, and we'll start to get dressed. And the children will go, where are you guys going? Because we didn't ask them to get dressed, so they figured it out. Where are you guys going? We're going out on a date. Ha ha, where are you going? We're going to get some Japanese. Japanese? Well, how come we have to eat frozen pizza? (laughs) And I tell them, here's why. There's not enough in the budget for me to go spend $100 on myself and your mom mom, and, and still feed you quality food at the same time. So I found frozen pizza, two for $5.99. That's what you're going to eat tonight. And your mom and I are going to go out and get steak and shrimp. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. And then I laugh. <laughs> and then while I'm eating, I send them pictures. Here's the food. Wish you were here. Not really. Right? And, and so they know the marriage comes before them. Now listen, I tell my children, listen, you're irreplaceable. Hear me now? You, you are irreplaceable in this family. This family is not the same without you. But this marriage comes first. And, and if ever that your sports or your activities or, or whatever it is that, that is seemingly so important, if it ever starts to put a strain on the marriage, listen, we're cutting it all out because the marriage comes first. And my wife comes before my children. And her needs come before theirs. Amen? And so that is just, they need to see this is what the Bible teaches us. And listen, they will be better husbands and wives if they learn it at a young age. Amen? Parents, you need to be affectionate with each other. They need to see affection. They need to listen. They need to hear it, and they need to see it. They need to hear mom and dad just tell each other, ooh, you're looking so fine. Oh, man, you look so good. They need to hear it, and they need to see it. They need to see that mom and dad are affectionate to each other. Buddy, they need to see hugs. They need to see kisses. And you know what they're going to do as soon as they see it? They're going to go, ugh, get a room. I say, we got a room right here. It's not far. Don't, don't tempt me. All right, so, so, so but you know what? They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna think it's disgusting. You know what? Inside, they love it. Do you hear me now? Inside, they not only love it, let me tell you, they need it. You know why? It gives them a sense of security. It gives them a sense of, of, of hey, mom and dad's marriage is doing all right. A little too good sometimes if you ask me, but it's doing all right. And they need to know, hey, guess what? It's not going to be two Christmases for you. There's not going to be two Thanksgiving because mom and dad, we love each other. And we may argue sometimes, but buddy, we make up real quick because we're committed to this marriage. 
They need to see a biblical view of marriage. Because one day it's going to be them. The purpose of parenting is to raise a godly adult. Amen? Here's Proverbs chapter 22. Here's what it says in in the New King James. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he's go. Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, last week I read from the Message Bible, but I don't always read from the Message Bible because I need you to know that the Message Bible is a paraphrase and not a translation. So there's a huge difference. But I remember reading this out of the Message Bible, and and although I love some verses in the Message Bible, and sometimes I'll share them with you, this one they get wrong. Now listen to it in the Message Bible. In the Message Bible it says, point your kids in the right direction. Now, here's the problem I have with that. The word train in the Hebrew is the word chanak. And what it actually gives reference to is that a midwife... When teaching a new mother how to have their child, their newborn baby, breastfeed, here's what the midwife would do. The midwife would take dates and mash up the dates into this little paste, and they would put the paste on the roof uh, of the newborn baby's mouth so that that newborn baby would start to suck, and they would teach the child through that how to breastfeed. So listen, here's what they were actually doing. The word train actually means this, create a desire. Create a hunger in in a child. It doesn't mean point them in the right direction. Hey, uh, good luck. I hope you make it. It's down that way. No, that's that's not what it means. It means that we train them. That means that we do it first. How many of you have been on a plane? I was on a plane this week. They tell you. I wasn't paying attention, but they tell you. Listen, if the cabin loses oxygen, what happens? You, the, cabin, the, the oxygen masks come down, and they tell you every time. It goes against common sense. It goes against parental instincts because every parent would think to themselves, first you put the mask on the child, clearly, but it says very clearly, no, you put the mask on yourself first, and then you put the mask on the child, Right? We think that, that that shouldn't happen that way. But here's the thing. We can't give the child an experience we've never had ourselves. Amen? We've got to show them this is how you worship God. Not just point them in the right direction. Let them experience it. You're not a, just somebody pointing. Here's what you actually are. You're a tour guide. You're going to show them things and and let them experience things because you've experienced them themselves. Here's what I get out of worship. Here's what I get out of the word of God. Here's what I get out of prayer. It's not something I'm just trying to, to just drop you off at church and just hope something sticks, hope something takes, hope you don't make the same mistakes I made. No, we train them up. Amen? We create a hunger in them by letting them see it in ourselves, letting them experience it for ourselves, because here's what will happen one day, maybe 18, maybe when they're 22, maybe when they're 25, Lord knows, I hope it's no later, they're going to leave our house, and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to go, and we are going to launch them into their future, like arrows in the hand of a mighty warrior. 
And we're going to point them, or I should say point the arrow, and we're going to pull back and we're going to launch them. But the whole time we are shaping them. We're training them. And we're pouring in them. And we're instilling in them. And we're say, this is what God is like. This is, this is why you pray. Not just do it because I said to do it. This is why you worship God. This is what I've got out of it. This is what God has said to me. Let them see it in your life. Let them know that this is something that mom and dad have done for themselves. Andy Stanley said this. Man, I love this quote. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Do you hear me now? Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, it may actually be someone you raise. I pray that over my life. Lord, let the greatest contribution I ever make to the kingdom of God, let it not be a building, let it not be a church, let it not be a group of people, let it not be the things that we've done in Columbia, the buildings and the schools and, and the orphanages, not, let, let it not be what we've done in, in Africa and supporting or, or in Europe or in Vietnam. Let that, I don't want that to be my greatest contribution. I want the greatest contribution I could possibly make to the kingdom of God to be someone I raise so that they can do so much more, go places I've never been. I could launch them with such accuracy and such distance into a place that I'll never see. They're going to be at a year that I will never be at, should Jesus tarry. And I want them to make an incredible impact for their world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment this morning. These three are non-negotiable. Your children have to have your attention. You need to know what they're doing at all times. Every password to every phone, everything you hand them has got to have some sort of filter, accountability. You need to know where they're at. You need to know who they're hanging around. But also they need your affection. And included in that affection is discipline. Loving discipline. Not just punishment, Many of us were punished as children. Now I said, it's not punishment, it's discipline. And there's a difference. Because it's loving. And it's this is why I'm, I'm telling you, you crossed a boundary. And there's consequences to crossing boundaries. But also, here's what they need. Listen to this. They need aim. They need a mom and dad who will Man, take the time to shape them and pull back that bow. Form that arrow so that it is so accurate, so that it can go the distance, so that that child can do what God created them to do. Amen? And listen, I know in this room there's some single parents. I know in this room there's some grandparents, and you don't have the influence that you had over your own children I know in this room there are some people that your child has already been launched because, listen, doesn't it go by so quickly? 
Listen, we can't dwell on past mistakes. There's things that I would just do over. Absolutely. All we can do is say, God, from here on out, I'm going to do everything that I can to influence the life of a child so that they can be who you created them to be. So let me pray for you today. Father, in the name of Jesus.